This week, I continue the line of inquiry into just what enables narcissism at large in our society with Mr. Richard Crannon. Richard puts forward that codependency or people-pleasing is a master-slave dynamic that has been deeply entrained and entranced within us. And he puts forward that this is a bigger, more pervasive, unseen yet felt issue that's bigger than narcissism. And that if we're to crack the code of narcissism, then we need to come out bigger and wider and start to look at how we end up enabling it. We go into the dynamics and mechanics of this in depth across a variety of areas of life and a great a number of examples, whether it's the way the government speaks to us, the way we talk to ourselves, and also going further into consumerist capitalism and how we have been entrained over decades to buy stuff we really don't need. Through all of this, you'll really begin to understand the dynamics of codependency or people-pleasing and how we've become almost conflict or awkward emotionally adverse and how shame and guilt has been further used as a tool to beat ourselves and how we've become enabled to say no and thus leaving us like a bunch of infants and children wondering and questioning when are the adults going to show up? Richard also puts forward that the way forwards is to unplug from this strange reality that we've created and start to plug with the true plug into a true reality, our authentic self, starting to say no, and really dealing and dealing with legitimate suffering and collision in life. But also that the way out of this is inevitable and not to get over agitated within ourselves and get caught up too much with the narratives that we see on social media. This is a fascinating, fascinating podcast and it was a real privilege and a treat and an honour for me to be able to speak to Richard. He's someone whose work I've been following for some time and I'm just so impressed with the way he's able to articulate with a great sense of humor much of what I have been feeling uneasy about but and starting to be able to talk about but not quite and I feel sure that it will resonate with many others I can't say it's going to be easy listening and if you don't get triggered during it I'll be surprised but if you do find yourself getting triggered no this is not me I'm not a conformist then maybe X marks the spot for greater personal inquiry. Anyway, enjoy, Richard. Hello, welcome back to A Real. I'm your host, Bryn Edwards. Today, I have the great pleasure of welcoming, welcoming Richard Grannon onto the show. Richard, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Indeed. Um, pleasure's all mine. I've been a big fan and admirer of your work for some time. So for those who are uninitiated in the world of Richard Grannon. And it is uh, an initiation, a painful initiation. It is, it is. It is. Um, a triggering initiation at times. Yeah. <laughs> Purposeful, benevolent triggering. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, he's a psychologist, life's coach through uh, your company, Spartan Life Coach, mm-hmm. specializing in helping people to rebuild themselves after they very much come second in an encounter with narcissists. Is that Correct. a fair summary of your work? It is indeed, Your Honor. It is a fair summary <laughs> of my misdeeds. <laughs> so first question, because um, I always like to place what people do in the relevance and so people get to know you. Why is this work particularly relevant to you yourself, Richard? Um, my background, uh, well, I, I was always interested in psychology from a very, very early age. Um, and for uh, on and off for 15 years, I worked in the security industry doing nightclub security. And I also worked as a trainer and a self-defense instructor and a control and restraint tactics instructor, which is, as we were saying before the interview, is what led me to Perth a couple of times to teach there where, nearby where you are. And so self-protection was, was being my life's work is teaching people how to protect themselves. Mm. And at um, a certain point, I realized that with a lot of the guys and girls I was training, you know, like tactical firearms instructors, bodyguards and soldiers and tough girls and tough guys, there was this consistent theme of them being in abusive relationships. Um, And it was uh, so statistically high that it couldn't be coincidental. So the, the, that project was called streetfightsecrets.com. It was teaching psychology, self-defense, control and restraint tactics. But then I branched off with something called spartanlifecoach.com that was just for them. It was to help them overcome uh, the problems in their relationships and to, to learn to assert themselves. So these are people who could shoot you in the head, but they can't say no in a supermarket queue if somebody pushes in front of them. Um, so that, that, was, war, that was the fact. Really, isn't it? It's, it's insane. And it's, it's the norm. It's actually, that's, that's the average, that's the norm. So if you see people who are doing something that looks very imposing from whatever, bodybuilding, powerlifting, MMA, whatever, you'll see people pleasers and codependents uh, beneath mm. the surface of that macho veneer. Awesome. So um, one of the reasons why I really wanted to speak to you, particularly at this time, is because... Oh, there's a number of things, but they all sort of seem to come together for me. There's, there's, and you've already started to mention it there, people pleasers and codependents in particular. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as uh, a couple of weeks ago, I ended up speaking to Professor Sam Wagner, um, mm-hmm. um, who you've done videos and work with. I have. Have you, have you recovered? Um, it took me a couple of days to process it's, it. It does. It does take, I've told Sam this, I've said to him, like, sometimes when I'm talking to you, it takes about two or three days to recover from what you said. It does. Do you know, without, without seeing me a little bit up myself, I actually patted myself on the back the next day for staying in the conversation for two hours. Yeah. So you did, you so, did very well. You did, you did very, very well. I, I watched the whole thing. I watched it very closely. I listened very carefully and you did, you did well. Thank um, you. It is, it is a, uh, but it's, you know, Sam will really take you on a journey and he pulls no punches. Yeah. And he's, I think we're doing round two in a couple of months. So May God have mercy on your soul. Indeed. Indeed. But um, one of the most interesting things that got a lot of um, response, I got a lot of messages, but one of the interesting things I started to see was this whole, yes, that is the nasty narcissist and that is that person over there and, and they are just evil and I am good and, and they just came in and preyed upon me. 
and mm. and it just strikes me that there's a bigger issue at play there's almost a flip side to this narcissism which mm. is very much around this urge to people please and be codependent mm. um you know why why do we willingly let these people into our lives and do the things that they do mm. and so um i wondered if just to start with you know so we can start at the micro level so we can build it out to a bigger macro level mm. can you run me through what is people pleasing how what are the mechanics and dynamics how does it come about and how does it play out yeah um <clears throat> the one of the uh, uh just to cl close the loop on 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 uh, sam for a second there mm. the recurrent theme that i've had speaking to sam over the years goes back to the first time i interviewed him in 2014 there's a youtube video called narcissophobia and yeah. we were talking about the very close relationship between codependence and the victims of narcissistic abuse, the prey and the predator, and this strong desire to disavow and to deny any sort of responsibility and, yes. and, and wrongdoing. And I think one of the very challenging things, and Sam, Sam comes back to this frequently, it's a recurrent theme, and, and I've come back to it in the last sort of uh, six weeks or so, is in order to crack the code on codependency, we really have to look at all of what that means. And we are not, we are not at the uh, polar opposite end of a spectrum to narcissists as codependents. We are more a mirror image, a symmetrical mirror image to narcissists. Right. So as I sort of put, put forward what codependency is, I want people to understand my stances that actually we've, we're raised in a very similar environment, probably the same environment as the NPD. It's just our response to it is different. So codependency, people-pleaser syndrome, a pronounced fawn response, to use the CPTSD <clears throat> terminology, yes, um, would be as a result of being raised in an abusive environment. If you acquire it in adulthood, which is rare, it must be an environment where you feel you cannot escape or you effectively cannot escape. So an abusive relationship can do this, but you must be living with the person. Being stuck in a prison, being stuck in an institution, being stuck in boarding school, as we both were, both of these can, can do this. <laughs> boarding school effectively entrains codependency, as does the military. Um, yeah. And we can thank the French and the Brits. We can thank our ancestors for that. This is a very deliberate process. That's why the infantry is called the infantry because their purpose is to infantilize the soldiers um, and to treat them as children. The infantry were always uh, frontline uh, cannon fodder. Um, I didn't find this out until years after I applied to the army. I wanted to join the, I yes. wanted to join the parachute regiment. Yeah. And I realized years later that actually that was an extension of my abusive um, a childhood environment and then boarding school and then my private school education, all of which is there to break the child's spirit and to yes. make you codependent on higher authority. It's extremely cruel and um, very overt. I mean, it's not, there isn't really much effort to hide it because they don't need to hide it because who's, who are they going to get in trouble with? Nobody's, <laughs> nobody's going to, nobody's going to tell them off. So you end up codependency is a kind of trauma bonding into a master-slave dynamic. So if your parents told you to shut up and do as you were told as a child, 
you will develop a slave-like mentality and you will seek masters uh, for the rest of your life. This is why the special air services um, proudly call themselves pilgrims. You know, they're pilgrims seeking a master. It's based on a poem. Mm. And I've, I've discussed this with special forces guys. I'm like, do you realize the brainwashing? And they're like, yep, <laughs> yep. <laughs> PTSD in combat veterans now is so high, not because of the violence they've experienced, I claim, but because so many combat veterans are waking up to just how uh, um, cruel a procedure they've, they've been yeah. through and just how much deception they've been at the receiving end of. So that's a way of uh, entraining uh, codependency. Yes. And so how, how does it actually play out in an everyday scenario as, as a grown adult? Um, it will not. It's, it's rare that, that a codependent person is codependent all the time. So there will be particular contexts and particular people with whom we are mm. codependent. So there are trigger contexts and trigger uh, figures, authority yeah. figures, typically. How that plays out is a, a neurotic desire to avoid any and all conflict. Not conflict perceived in the other but conflict perceived subjectively. So we become hyper agreeable. We say yeah. yes to things that we should not be saying yes to. No becomes a verboten haram word. It's like yeah. no's not on the table. Whatever they say, I'm going to do it. And then we hyper vigilantly and proactively seek for ways to serve because it's not enough that we're slaves. We want to be super slaves. We want to be the best slave that master has ever had. Yes. And we wear our hard work as a badge of honor. Exactly. Exactly. So you've got these people who are, how prevalent would you say this is in society nowadays? Oh, I think it's a much bigger problem than narcissism. I, I, uh, I agree with Sam that narcissism <clears throat> has become an organizing principle of modern culture. Um, uh, and it's, you know, to the extent that people really the majority of humans in in western culture can only relate to each other narcissistically we are kind of facing like a zombie apocalypse of narcissism mm. but the broader problem i think is actually <laughs> if everybody in a society is a narcissist nobody's a narcissist yeah. so um sam frequently uses the example of nazi germany and i'm like yes nazi germany but imagine being on the inside of nazi germany narcissistic psychopathy doesn't exist you're just a, you're just a good nazi you're not yeah. a narcissistic you're not sick you're only sick if you show empathy you're only sick if you don't violently believe in courageously dominating the lands around europe and killing everybody that then you're sick you're the sick one so this the the situation we face now is narcissism is still a relevant term because i do think there's still a minority npd is still a minority so then the majority is codependent. Well, then how does narcissism play out? Narcissism can only play out if there is a minority exploiter and a majority exploited. Yes. So if we're all refusing to say no, and we've all abrogated to, because codependency is an addiction, it becomes yes. addictive. We become addicted to abrogating the responsibility of our own authenticity and abrogating the responsibility of our adulthood. So if you are looking around, as many of us are, 
we look at our politicians, we look at our systems of governance, we look at the corporations, and we, where are the fucking adults? Where, who's in charge here? Oh, yeah. Yes. Right. So, so many people have made the mistake, I think, of saying that's narcissism. They've all fall, fallen prey to narcissism. That's part of the puzzle. The bigger piece of the puzzle is, no, they've fallen prey to codependency because we're all now entrained to abrogate our responsibility as adults. It's much easier in a certain sense to live as a slave. A slave doesn't make choices. A slave doesn't have the burden of responsibility. A slave doesn't have the stress of agency and regret because whilst we're capable of regret, it's not our fault. Nothing is our fault. So mm. this, is where, yeah, this is where you get the problem that you saw, which is, I'm a martyr, I'm blameless. Oh, they, they, the narcissist, this, the narcissist, that. And you just look at people and you go, really? You had no say in this. You, had, yeah. you didn't make a pact with the devil. You didn't trade anything. You, you got no benefit whatsoever from this relationship. Not me, not me. And I'm like, come on now, <laughs> let's be have fucking- Have a word with yourself. <laughs> have a word with yourself. Let's not abrogate this responsibility to be adults. It's hard to be an adult. and we live in an infantilizing environment that wants us all to be useful idiots. What I think has happened though, as so often happens in human endeavor is the, the machine takes over. So we build machines to, to serve us. Yes. And then we ultimately end up serving the machine. Um, yes which I, I suspect was uh, in 2001 Space Odyssey, the Stanley Kubrick movie. I think that was what the, the monolith actually is. It's the, it's an, it's the it, people said it's technology. It is technology. But I think the warning there is whatever we build, it, it becomes infused with our unconscious drives. And once it's externalized and infused with unconscious drives, it pulls darkness out of us. And it actually doesn't lead anywhere good. So I think what happened here is a group of people, a group of people, conspiracy time, um, people with money, people who are running PR campaigns, people who were the captains of industry. I think it was financial. I don't, I don't think it's anything spookier than just financial gains. Hmm. People who hire men like uh, Freud's grandson, Edward Bayonets, and say, how do we make people buy more? How do we make them obey? They formed this wonderful, uh, effective ideology and a machine but the mach th those men died and the machine kept running and it kept growing and brainwashing people to feed the beast just became what, well, that's what we do. That's what everybody does. Yeah. And so when I say unconscious here, I'm not really so much talking about the Freudian and, and the Jungian unconscious where the drives go in the cellar and then they pop back out. What I'm talking about is a thing that is not conscious but exists it has impact but we're not aware of it and the closest word i think that really exists for it is ideology but it's not quite right because it has um gravity it has uh it's like a wave it has a weight and it's moving in a direction and i think that's where we are now the the other thing the unconscious the beast the the machine that we build is now dragging us in, in a direction we really don't want to go. And I'm not sure anybody's running it. I don't think there's a few men at the top of that wearing uh, cloaks, cackling and going, ha, 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 we finally dominated humanity. Mm. I think there's a few people who are riding the wave who might 
think that they're in control of it, but it's too big now. It's so huge, that mm. wave, that I don't think anybody can really control it. That kind of, uh, for want of a better phrase, shits on any idea that there's like this small elite running the world and... I mean, people, you, we can point to it, can't we? Because, you know, if, if you're on social media, you'll have seen the meme going around of just how much Mark Zuckerberg, uh, uh, Gates, uh, Bezos made just in the last four months as a result of this situation that we're in. Yeah. And people, people jump to the conclusion, well, that means uh, come hoc ergo propter hoc with this, therefore, because of this, they did it. It's uh, qui bono. They, they must have... And I... I'm tempted by that, but then I think I don't think I don't think anybody's in charge of this. I think they're just riding the wave. I think they're mm. surfing the wave. I think they're bright guys, mm. but they're not. Yeah, I, I don't think there's a secret cabal that's making this happen. I think there it's was. Prob- there to be. Say again. It's convenient for them to be for all the same yes. reasons that I had with the oh, there's narcissists and they're all naughty and I'm all good. Right, which. Yes, again, abrogation of responsibility. Who, you know, you get fat and you sue McDonald's. Well, was McDonald's coming around to your house, putting a gun to your face and saying, eat this, you know, high calorie, low nutrition food? No, but they made it delicious and tasty. So whose fault is that? You know, and and who's making me spend five hours on Instagram a day? Nobody's forcing me to do that. Yeah. So like you say, yes, it's easier to say, oh, they, they did this. And I think our, that's a codependent response because if you're codependent, you're the ultimate victim. If you're a slave and you're born into slavery, it's like, it's not my fault. Um, and then you get that sort of archetype of the conspiracy theorist who's unemployed, who, who just plays video games, smokes weed all day. And you go, why don't you do something with your life? And they go, well, you know, then I'd be serving the man, man. And it's yeah. like, no, actually, you're just fucking lazy. Yeah. <laughs> you're using this as an excuse. It's a... It's a post hoc excuse for what you already want to do. So I, I do think, again, yes, you're right. That sort of like pointing at people and going, it's them. It's their fault. It's the same as the codependents or the victims of narcissistic abuse saying the narcissist did it to me. Well, mm. where's your responsibility? Like, are you, are you saying no? Are you refusing to go along with it? Or do you just struggle along with it? What are you really, you know, what, what about you? And this is... There's a, there's a bit of a fight here, um, and it's, it's a really good way of provoking people online, is you push their responsibility back onto them, and you go, no, actually, this is your responsibility. It's a great way of losing subscribers and starting online fights, I can assure you. <laughs> Which you, I'm sure you, amuses you. Every, every couple of months. <laughs> I'm like, every hey, guys, responsibility, take over okay, your life. I'm far too many subscribers, I need to get that down again. <laughs> um... How did we get to this place where, I, I love the phrase, there just seems to be no adults left. I mean, I'm 45 years old and, you know, for, for, for a long time during my 20s and 30s, I still sort of felt like a boy, for want of a better phrase, still trying to figure things out. And then all of recent, all of a sudden recently in the last two or three years, possibly through doing the podcast, possibly because, you know, understanding, you know, like Jung's work more that I'm going through that second phase of individuation and I'm going from the morning of life and I'm sort of leaving the lunchtime and entering the afternoon of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm doing it gracefully rather than kicking and screaming. I hope you have a pleasant afternoon. <laughs> Indeed, I'm going to have a snooze first. Um, <laughs> but um, 
it just struck me recently. It's like from time to time I look around and go, you know, I, I do have a pre-digital memory. It's like, it's like, when 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 are the grown-ups going to show up and yeah. and actually say this? Everything that's going on is, is fucking barking. Yeah. And and then all of a sudden recently, I've looked looked around and looked inside and felt, shit, I think I'm the grown-up now. Right. And and it feels kind of lonely. Yeah. Yeah. It's frightening. It's it's frightening. Um, it's the moment of realization that nobody's coming to save me. Nobody's coming to save us. I may the, be the most competent person in the room right now. And I know I'm a fucking idiot. I know because I live with myself 24 seven. That's exactly it. You know, and you know, we've all been, we've all been sucked in by, um, you know, delivering, you know, we all have a, a need to know because yeah. then it gives us control. And then, you know, sales and marketing have, sell, have, have, have preyed upon that and sold us predictable outcomes, you know do the six week course and then you'll get the abs or, you know, come and do my mindset coaching course and then you'll be from here to here. But yeah. it just, it just doesn't work like that. No. And, and now it's like, who's going to fucking say something? Um, uh, which is, which is, a, which is a great question uh, along with how did we get here? Which is that, yeah, sorry. you know, uh, it's a kind of like, I, I turn people off with this because I say it's consumer capitalism. I'm not a communist. I, I, I believe in uh, free trade and com competition and red blooded. I think selling is a great thing to do. I think developing a product and selling it is a good thing for a human being to do. I think it's a worthy activity if it's done righteously. Well, the majority of it isn't done righteously and uh, marketing and, and sales and PR and media, I mean, my God, what a fucking cesspit the, all these fields have become. Media, media is just awful. It's got to the point now where I blanket refuse uh, requests from any mainstream media outlet um, because I've had such bad experiences with them. Every, mm. Once with once with Radio Four, they gave me a fair shake, and and the guy was the guy was cool, but he was he had his own independent thing, and then he he made it, and then he'd sell it to Radio 4. But other than that, awful. Scumbags. Total narcissistic, psychopathic scum. And they're yeah. ranking highly in the media. So people come to me and they go, oh, this was written in the papers. And I'm like, you, you've no idea what, what's behind the scenes there. These are not good humans. And these are not lovers of humanity. The, the people that I met who were producers and moderately high ranking in mainstream media in, in, in the UK and in America, loathe people they loathe humans they think humans are scum they think that we're idiots and that our only purpose is uh, to to be treated as cattle which is why the media looks like it does yes because <laughs> <laughs> the people who are running it they're not kind they're not their their impetus is not how do we educate and how do we bring dignity back to humanity and how do we no, they're like, how do we make people angry, scared, and frightened today? Because anger, yes. fear uh, um, uh, will induce obedience. And it's just, it, the, the mainstream media is just the slave master's whip cracking you across the mind and the emotions every day. That's all it's there for. That's all, all it's there for. It's for yeah. nothing else but deception and fear and the, and the inducement of obedience. 
So I would say to people watching this, be very, very careful what you let inside of uh, your brain as far as the mainstream media goes. Mm. Um, but to the broader question of what brought us here, when I'm talking about consumer capitalism, I'm talking about not fair trade in the marketplace. I have fine carrots here. Please come and buy them at a reasonable price. Yes. I'm talking about object fetishism. I'm talking about a deliberate and conscious decades-long effort to convince people to buy things that they don't need. I'm talking about a deliberate decades-long effort to take money back from people. I think we live inside of a slave plantation. I think for you and I and everybody listening, we're all slaves. We live in a feudal society. We're peasants. We don't have money. It's an illusion. We have beads. We're allowed to trade inside the plantation our little bit of beads, and they, they keep taking it back. They pay you and then they take it back. They take it back on your fuel. They take it back on your clothes. They take it back on your rent. Everything we do is taxed. We can't fart without being taxed. So they go, here you go, slave. I've paid you. Here's your beads. Go drinking because it's massively taxed. Go and smoke. It's massively taxed. Go and do that. It's all taxed. It's all taxed back. And I think it's just to give us the illusion of freedom. We're just slaves in a plantation telling ourselves that we're free. And they figured this out. I can't remember the author's name now. They figured this out uh, centuries ago. They were like, it's actually cheaper to have the slaves police each other and doctor yeah. each other and rent to each other than it is for us to look after them. This was written, by the way. I think it's Adam Smith who wrote it. But mm. he wrote it. It was, it was uh, back in the 1700s. He wrote it. It's cheaper to have the slaves take care of themselves than for us to look after them. Yeah, yeah. And now we seem to have, I hate using the word weaponized, but now we seem to have this use of shame and guilt, particularly at the moment. It's mm. like, um, you know, be good boys and girls and do the right thing and stay inside. And, and, and then all of a sudden we see other people who have not done the right thing. And mm. now we're starting to grass on people. And, and this, and it seems like we're using shame and guilt as well now as, as a really big tool. Absolutely. These are, these are the most powerful tools an adult can leverage against a child. Um, the stick of shame and the whip of guilt, because, you know, I could beat you up every time you do something wrong, but beating you tires my beating arm. My whip hand gets calluses. I get, I get tired of that. But if I can train you to beat yourself up for doing wrong, ah, there you go. That's the slave mastering itself. Um, and I think that's, that's the trick that's being played. That's why we're being spoken to like children. That's why guilt and shame is being used so much now. To me, it feels like there's a desperate air to, to this. I think we are in, I think they think we're in the final phases of a control system that's on the verge of collapse. I don't think you can keep doing this to people and think that they're just going to go along with it forever. Mm. You know, um, well, I, I know the type of thing you're talking about. I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but I've seen adverts around the UK and around Europe. Um, we're in this together. Oh, do the right thing. Be nice. Do as you're told because it's the nice thing to do. And if you don't, you're not nice. I'm like, I don't remember signing up to being nice. What's, what, what's being nice for? <laughs> Why should I be nice? That's codependency. Being yes. nice and being the best slave you can becomes a virtue. Not to sound yeah. like Nietzsche, but this is what Nietzsche was complaining about. These things are not virtues. Obedience isn't a virtue. 
humility isn't a virtue, not really. Uh, 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 supplicating to another person and being the best slave you can. These are not, these are not virtues. He called it, um, he called it a slave morality. He said, this is a slave morality. It's not a real moral system. It's not a, it's not a system of virtues and values. It's an artificial system of, of uh, virtues and values to keep you in your slave state and telling yourself, no, I'm a good person. Why? Because I kiss the master's ass better than anyone else can. Whoop de do. Recently, uh, I've also been sort of <clears throat> diving in, as I said, mentioned earlier, I'm diving into more of the work of, of Jung. And it's, can you see the bigger psyche sort of getting to a point where it goes, all right, kids, you, I've left, I've left your conscious brain in charge for a while and it's not doing the thing. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to come in and sort some of this out. And, and, and this is sort of internally collectively because, you know, we, one of the things that I find is, is as we get to that latter thirties, forties stage, early forties stage, we get to almost like the, the apex of the individual power. And, and all of a sudden, everything you've tried to be and not be, then everything sort of catches up with you and you plunge back into your shadow. But mm. it strikes me that many of the things that have helped us collectively hold our identity from an external point of view, latching onto structures, even there, like the control you're saying, they're starting to fall to pieces. And so it strikes me that there's almost an inevitability of the collapse, but then it's the faith of having a rise of something bigger, the human spirit within us. Do you see where I'm going with that? Yeah, I do. I do. I think that um, if you keep pushing people and you keep torturing people psychologically, eventually they will become exhausted and they will collapse. And we're seeing that the suicide rates are through the roof, like anxiety, depression, alcohol abuse, drug abuse is through the roof. But, and I'm not, a naive idealist here. I'm really not. No, but, and this question wasn't for me to try and cling on to a little bit of hope. Yeah, no, no. Um, I think in the most real, authentic, existentialist, nihilistic way, there will be a spiritual awakening. But for people listening, please take away all new age overtones from that. Spiritual awakening in this context would mean well, let's say a psychological awakening, more in a Jungian sense, um, that we are worshipping fetishes. We are worshipping false gods mm. that in a certain sense, our adolescence is over, that there is no heaven. There is no hell. There are no angels. There are no demons. There's no God. There's no devil. There is this, and that mm. is all that there is. And I'm not trying to take people's faith away from them. When I, when I talk about angels, demons, heaven, and hell, I mean ideologically. I mean, we are trapped in a story that is um, Richard is born and he has his uh, birth certificate number, his uh, national insurance number, his passport number. And then he's this thing that goes through life, that consumes, that took holidays, that um, bought a house was it a big house was it a little house how hard did he work did he have a degree did he do you know what i'm saying and it's all viewed through yeah. the capitalist lens capital means stuff 
folks. It's not complicated. They're trying to make it complicated. Capital means stuff. So if you're a capitalist, you're a stuffist. If you watch The Walking Dead, uh, it became a, a, a meme. Uh, mm. Whenever Rick said, get your stuff and your things, that was your capital. So if you're in the zombie apocalypse and you own a shotgun and a backpack with beans in, that's your capital. When he confronts uh, Negan, Negan saying, give me half your shit. So that's capitalism meets tyrannical communism. Give me or die. Give me or be, or be tortured. Um, yeah. It's really simple. It's, it's, it, so when we're viewing through a capitalist lens, we're viewing through a materialist lens. We're saying this stuff that I can hold in my hand matters. This is what matters. And I think the hard uh, psychological awakening will be no. No, it doesn't. Never did. The story doesn't matter. The stuff doesn't matter. Um, none of that matters. But like all spiritual awakenings, like all psychological awakenings, um, it will be painful. There will be a yeah. mighty scream and there will be a scarring and a, a tattooing. You know, in, in all initiation ceremonies across the globe, you're supposed to get initiated about 13 years old. So here's me and you in our yeah. 40s. Going, oh, I kind of feel like I might be starting to be a man now. That yeah. was supposed to have taken place a very long time ago, but this is, this is where we're at. So what will be the scarring? The scarring will be when the kids have all their toys taken away from them, which is on the horizon. A lot of our toys will be, will be taken away from us. A lot of the things that we're very attached to, a lot of the things that we think are important will be taken away. And then we'll go through a process of reduction where we'll be asked, well, what is actually important? What is good? We're so brainwashed, we don't know what is good. We're mm. such twitching, brainwashed, poisoned, little wretched, golem addict creatures. We have no idea what's good. Well, when it's all gone, then you'll see. The sun is good. Going to sleep is good. Being mm. with other humans is good. good. Was, there, was anything ever better than that? No. Oh, I loved my PlayStation. I loved my Instagram. No, it was horseshit. It was just mm. mental illness. You were tricked. You were entrained to, to feel that way. Um, I'm pretty extreme on this stuff. I believe that uh, Santa Claus and Christmas is a way of trauma bonding people to object fetishism from an early age because I remember not giving a fuck. I remember being utterly bewildered by Christmas. I was like, what are we doing? We're exchanging presents. Don't you love presents? And I was like, not really. I like it when you fuckers aren't screaming at each other all the time and terrifying me. That's fun. Yeah. I like it when you're not hitting me. That's fun. And then it was all this weird stuff with like the, the, um, the, the highly colorful wrapping and the colors on the tree. And I was like, and the weird music. And then this strange figure that comes through the chimney and visits the church. I was like, this is some creepy horseshit. What are you people doing? Just be normal. What is all this? Why are we exchanging gifts? Why is my family staring at me when I open a present? And I open it and it's like, I don't know, a fucking toy gun. Everybody goes, ooh. I remember going, this is a weird ritual. You guys are freaks, man. This is some strange <laughs> ceremony we're doing. But eventually it got to me. And eventually I was entrained into it. And I wanted the things. But I also remember thinking, I'm wanting this. And it doesn't feel good. It's agitated. I want the new action man figure i want the new uh, star wars i used to collect star wars figures yeah i remember losing my boba fett and yes. i was really upset and i wanted a new one 
but I wanted it in this weird, um, anxious, uh, envious, like I was angry about it and I was obsessed with it. I remember thinking, even as a kid, I must have been, maybe I was five or six. I was like, this is weird. I don't feel this way about anything else. I don't, there's nothing else. So I think we're entrained into object fetishism. And now we are very sick. All of us are very sick, but it's breaking because the baubles won't work anymore. Humans don't work like that. You can't use the same stimulation and get the same response all the time. Humans adapt. They're very flexible. There's a huge amount of neuroplasticity. And now I think we've adapted and we're like... Yeah, this ain't it. This isn't it anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because one of the things that bamboozles me currently is this complete distance and incongruity between actually accepting the true nature of man, that he can be rational, but he can also be highly emotive, highly impetuous, and we are seeing this right now here in Australia with, you know, very strict border controls because of COVID and this, that, and the other. But then all of a sudden you found out that two girls snuck across because they wanted to come to have a party. Or you lock a load of people up in a hotel for 14 days. And guess what? They start shagging the security guards, you know, mm-hmm. and it's all like, oh, oh, you know, and yes, we, you, we've discussed using the, 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 the rod and fail of, of, of um, shame and guilt. But underneath it, the thing that I keep asking myself and others around me is, are you fucking surprised? Really? Yeah. Um, are you not. really surprised? No, they're not. It's a setup. It's a, t- it's a total setup. It's a total setup. What's, what the next phase will be, and I, I shot something for uh, David Icke's website, Iconic, in March when this happened. And we've got it on video. Um, I said it of Boris Johnson four months ago. Just wait. When the second spike comes, and it will come, uh, we will be told it's all our fault. And he will use, I said of Boris Johnson against the British people, but it'll be every authority figure across the globe. They'll be like, yes, you're going into another lockdown, you fucks. But that's because you won't stop shagging each other. That's because you won't stop partying. That's because you won't stop drinking. And I'm like, well, of course young people want to meet up and party in illegal raves. You've just told them to stay in their house for four months for something that to all intents and purposes doesn't seem all that threatening if you're fit and healthy and young. Why should they forego like four months when you're 18 is a fucking eternity. (laughs) That's their, that's their, that's their youth. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm saying I understand. It just is. It is what it is. I wouldn't be doing it. 100% I would be doing it. I'd probably shag more just out of defiance. (laughs) (laughs) Great way to defy. But I guess it's just this. I just find it incredulous at the moment that there's such a disparity between people's view and then being caught up in this shame and guilt of, oh, I should never have done it. And it just sometimes, because because I end up thinking about things potentially more deeply i find myself to use the the greek myth of like cassandra who can see things into the future not like miles away but just small things happening mm. yeah, while she was given the gift of being able to see things into the future she was also cursed with nobody listening to her or taking her seriously 
-hmm. And so now it can be, so it, it, it can be existentially troubling even, even from that level. Yes, because I think that you can, I think that what you can detect here is you can see a movement towards anti-humanism, which mm. is what do humans want to do? Well, happy little humans, healthy little humans like to get together and dance and drink and have a bacchanalian festival and then fuck each other. God bless them. That's why we're here. Like, because we've been doing that for millennia. If that stops, yeah. if that stops, we're all metaphorically fucked, but physically unfucked. Um, and it reminds me of uh, 1984. O'Brien, when he's torturing Winston, it's not often quoted. It's a really weird line. He says to uh, Winston when he's torturing him, we will abolish the orgasm. We will abolish the orgasm. You will meet once a year in a dour ceremony in misery and be forced to have sex just to replenish the numbers. That's it. But there'll be no love. There'll be no joy and we will ab abolish the orgasm. So I'm watching them and I'm going, okay, I see how this is. I see, because we, we were told in the UK, you can't meet up and hook up. You can't go to somebody else's house and hook up. If you're already with them and you're in the same house, you're okay, but you can't go somewhere else and hook up. And I was like, all right, I'm not saying that they're trying to abolish orgasms yet, but that could be the seed. That could be something mm. that you know, when we're on year yeah, three, correct. year four, year five of this horse shit, that's what they're saying to people. We need to track you. You can hook up, but you need to tell the government who you're fucking. It's your social responsibility. How mm. sexy will that be? Fill out this form and then we can have sex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It takes eHarmony to a new place, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, there's, there's also for me that now our inability to deal with any suffering you were sort of mentioning this when went close to this earlier on mm. it just strikes me that we've become so bloody precious mm. and so enslaved that we've you know Jung himself is, says you know neurosis is the drive to avoid all suffering all mm. suffering and yet there is legitimate suffering there is an appropriate level of suffering suffering is part of life again let's come back to the truisms of life people mm made tough and shag there's also suffering so how do we actually deal and process with that rather than hmm. yeah it's um i think i think sam has touched on this a, a few times you know it's a kind of somatic narcissism uh body focused narcissism uh that obviously results in hypochondria which is i should be young and beautiful forever no um i should never have any illness no and i should never die are you mental? We're all going to die. Mm. Um, but this is the culture we live in. It's this frozen, uh, infantile, narcissistic veneer that is like California, it's started in California and then it just spread across the world. It's infected the world where youth and sexiness is the only thing of value. Well, hang on a second. Like the people who give us our antibiotics, the people who give us our medical procedures, the people who give us the the TVs we watch, you know, we can't, we can't have this shift to, we can't afford to have a shift to only that which is instantly visually pleasing has value. We really are uh, screwed at that point. And look at what's happening with plastic surgery right now. It's never been more popular. It's, it's an exploding industry, plastic surgery. The mm. earth is plunging into tyranny 
and people are getting their tits and their lips done in numbers never before seen. Scary. And so the bus went off the side of the cliff, but everybody looked great. We'll all be selfieing on the way down. Falling off the cliff, hashtag lol. YOLO. <laughs> yeah. When I'm in the casket, can you just do... <laughs> <laughs> the perfect selfie at last. <laughs> there you go. What is the way out of this, Richard? Big question. I, uh, at the risk of, of trying to like, you know, bluff my way into sounding enlightened. Um, <laughs> I think, I think the way out is inevitable. I think the way out is inevitable. Um, we maybe don't need to agitate ourselves too much on the way out. Um, it's going to be what it's going to be. If we, if we're too engaged with the narrative, and the story and not engaged enough in our actual reality because it's raining outside, there are seagulls, the tide's coming in. None of these things give a fuck. Not a single fuck about anything that we're discussing here. The seagulls yeah. don't care, the dogs don't care, the waves don't care, the mountains of whales across the way, they don't care. They won't change. They won't be altered by this at all. They will never experience any effect, any effect of this. And it's good to connect with that. It's good to connect with the timeless. It's good to connect with, that's why I, like, uh, I advise people to connect with nature because it, it almost literally plugs us into the infinite. The trees, the trees aren't infinite, but they've been there for a long fucking time. If you listen to the wind in the trees, that sound was being made a long time before humans were here. And they'll be still making that noise a long time after we're all gone. So connecting with the timeless, connecting with the infinite, is, it's very important. The narrative, the news, the story, the Instagram, the Facebook, the YouTube, this is the stuff that will drive you crazy. This is, the, this is where the infection lies. Uh, go be with uh, your friends, if you're allowed. <laughs> um, go be in nature and uh, return to reality. This is not reality this is a fever dream this is somebody else's fever dream it possibly is bill gates wank fantasy to inject his jizz into the uh, sorry his vaccination into everyone because he's a crapulent little psychopathic turd um and but that's his fantasy it's it's not mine and i don't have to consent to living inside of the fantasy and if it gets to the point where we say, okay, you're either vaccinated and part of the technocracy or you're not, and you can piss off, I would say, okay, well, I guess I'm going to, I'm going to have to learn how to farm then, aren't I? I guess, you know, whatever, whatever it is, it, there's an inevitability to all this. So I'm not saying, I'm not saying to people do nothing. I'm not saying don't be vigilant. I'm saying don't drive yourself crazy. Like if you're on the internet for more than five or six hours a day, stop. If you're watching TV for more than five or six hours, they stop. It's real, but it's not the ultimate reality. All of this will pass. All of these governments, all of these people, they're going to die. We're all going to die. We'll all be dust. It's okay. So when we were talking about a spiritual awakening before, a psychological awakening, I think it's very healthy to come back to 
little bits as much as you can tolerate existential nihilism. You know, which is Eckhart Tolle wrote a book called One Day Even the Sun Will Die. This is good. Remember, no, like my great, my great grandchildren will not know my name, that nobody will know my name inside of a very short period of time, relatively. It, it matters, but it doesn't matter that much. Part of the problem we have is we're so hypersensitive, we're so non-resilient, we're so self-obsessed and so narcissistic, we're whipping ourselves up into a frenzy over mm. this. And, it's, and codependent it's, with all of that. <laughs> absolutely. It's a totally codependent response because we're relying on the other. Codependency is, is essentially is a parasitic relationship. If I could say it like this, codependency is a, is, a, is a relationship in which I make myself invisible, my needs are invisible, and I parasitically attach to somebody or something that is visible. So we're all entrained into codependency. That takes place in a dyad between two people. And we're all codependent with our media, our social media, and our governments and our nations now. It's a codependent relationship. So free yourself from the codependency. Mm. Recover from the codependency. But it's hard. It means being an adult. It means being visible. It means being authentic. It means being present. It means not constantly sifting everything you do and say through what reactions will I get from people? Will I get more likes? Will I get more followers? No, fuck it. Just be you. Whatever you think is the thing, then go do the thing. And if people don't like it, then do it on your own. Just be a crazy uh, uh, magus walking through the world with your, your familiar and your spells. You'll be all right. Hmm. And also use uh, a well underused word, which is no from time to time. We can say no. Mm. We can say no. Um, and we can say no to all kinds of things. That, that phrase usually people interpret it as saying no to authority. For a codependent, we need to learn to say no to us first. Yes. It's an addiction. So the mm. impulse to feed the addiction to, to delete yourself does it delete your authenticity, delete your identity will, will rise up and you have to find the strength to say, no, I'm not deleting who I am to avoid conflict. It's all about conflict avoidance, really. and being hyper agreeable. You say, no, I, I won't avoid conflict here. I'll let yeah. conflict come. I'll let it come and I'll see what it is. And whatever happens, I'll do my best uh, to cope with it. That's all an adult human can do. That's what we've been doing for millennia. That's what we've always done. We didn't shy away from pain. We didn't shy away from being visible. We didn't, that wasn't, you would, you, we would be considered in any normal human tribal community up until now, like the last hundred years, and then you've got the rest of humanity. Anywhere in the globe, we would appear as total freaks, total weirdos in any tribe. You go Japan, Okinawa, Africa, drop us anywhere in time. They'd be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Why are you like that? Why are you so twitchy? Why are you so weird? And uh, they would probably see us as ill and they'd probably call the shaman over and be like, get the spirits out of this one. He's, he's, he's not feeling yeah. too well. <laughs> he needs a good dust down. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I mean, particularly that, you know, we all collide in life and that's okay. But the, to, to avoid even the, the mildest of collisions and going back to what you were saying earlier on to, to work with people who could one minute shoot someone in their head, but then the next minute get, get all, all worked up about saying no in a, in a supermarket. I mean, right there. Yeah. That's the, um, 
That's the modern state. I think that's, that's the modern state of, of broad-scale codependency that I claim is the bigger problem than narcissism, is you can do awful things if it's not you doing it. So if I give you a badge and I give you a motto and I give you a mission, you'll do pretty much anything, pretty much everything. As proved um, by the Nazis in World War II. <laughs> proved by the Nazis in World War II. And it's been proven, it's been proven every time, you know, people go to the cinema. It's proven every time people make an order on Amazon. It's proven. I, I used to be big into MK Ultra and the CIA and Manchurian candidates. Uh, which is a process whereby you brainwash people in order to make them assassins. And then afterwards, they don't remember it. So even if they're captured and tortured, they, they wouldn't be able to give away any information. And I, I was so into it that um, I actually approached different American government agencies, and most of them told me to piss off. Um, but I actually ended up approaching the Anthony Robbins Foundation because I heard he'd worked on Project Jedi. And I called, this is 1996, I called on a payphone and I said, hello, I'm a psychology student. I want to know more about Mr. Robbins' work at Project Jedi. And some nice secretary of his just sent me um, a copy of the Army and Intelligence Service issued manual for Project Jedi. She photocopied it, coffee stains and all, and just sent it to me in, in England. It's, it's, I, I still have it. And I read it and I was like, oh, this is so woefully naive and incompetent. And I realized it's a total waste of time. You don't need to brainwash people to turn them into assassins or genocide committers or just tell them they're important. Just tell them you, you, they're doing their national duty. Just feed into their ego and their narcissism. They'll do whatever you want. Not everybody will. But if you take a population of 100 people um, and interview them, we'll find three or four who would do awful things awful things without brainwashing they don't humans don't need brainwashing we don't need <laughs> hypnosis just to have significance just to have a sense of mission and purpose yeah. and a we sense see. of having a place in history yeah yeah and i think anybody who would disagree with us i would suggest they go and look at the solomon ash experiment which is so simple of having a number of people in a room who all say that one line's shorter than the other and is blatantly wrong. And then the last person sits there and goes with the crowd. So this is, this is where we're really up to now. And, and, and um, this is very, it's, it's a, I'm trying not to use the word triggering. I'll just say triggering. It's a provocative subject. People don't realize how highly conformist they are and how highly conformist we've become. We posture. And we say, well, on the Maya Briggs, I'm an INF diddly D, and because I'm a Pisces, I'm, I'm like, you're not, you're not really anything, my mate. You're what your tribe says you are. I am. I'm no different. I am what my mm. tribe says I am. And yes, you have free will. And yes, you have responsibility. But don't take the piss. Like, you're not, you're not, to me, this is, again, it's consumer capitalism. Everything is a thing, and it's capital, including me. And I'm the, and so we set up our own consumer profiles for them. This is me. I vote this way. This is how I feel about this issue. This and my favorite flavored ice cream is pistachio. And I'm like, inside of two months, I could turn you upside down. It would be illegal, and you know, I'd have to feed you psychedelics. But um, inside of two months, I could I could turn you into a completely different person. It's not hard. It's not that hard to do. So 
my 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 point with saying this is part of our codependency is pretending that we have more agency than we really do and mm. we need to have a proper view of who am i really why do i vote this way why did i take that job why do i tell this story about mm. who i am you know people say oh i chose to be a doctor I'm like, no, you didn't. No child of 10 years old chooses. To do. You, were, you were pressured into it. You were pressured into it by your trial. Or I chose to be a lawyer. No, you didn't. Do it. Well done. I'm not taking anything away from you. But don't feed yourself this bullshit narrative that it's your choice. It's mm. not. These things are not, are not our choices. So again, this is back to if there is going to be a psychological awakening, the useful elements of existential nihilism will be to embrace the fact that we aren't as much as we think we are. Mm. And in another sense, we're far more than we think we are far, far more and have mm. far more power. But the power begins, as you just said, in, uh, in saying, no, I'm not going to do it this way. I'm not going to show up as this avatar mm. personality of myself. I'm going to show up as me. And this is what I really want. This is what I really like. This is what I'm really about. This is actually my true identity. Mm. And then you have to have the courage to be rejected for that or punished for that, which is, yeah. which is not easy. It's not easy. Yeah. And you're going to get rejected for it. Absolutely. Particularly by those nearest and dearest to you or large swathes of followers who have thought you're one thing and then you become another. And we don't like yeah. unpredictability. Least of all, the people around that we're in relationship with. Well, you, I mean, the social media is almost like um, codependency writ large. So if a person mm. on social media changes and you see the response of the followers, you see codependency and narcissism writ large, they become very upset. And it's, it's this tribal drive to make other monkeys in the troop conform. Don't do things differently it makes me anxious is what they're mm. really saying. You're triggering me into abandonment anxiety. You're reminding mm. me of my failings. You're making me feel insecure. So as you're climbing, they'll, they'll try and, and, and drag you down because that's their issue. They've mm. not dealt with, they're, they're not individuated. So yeah. I need you to be you just as you are because you're an object, mm. you're a thing, you're part of my capital. And I need you to do this for me. You move, you change. It's, it's, uh, it's very That's frightening. It's going to trigger my nervous system. And I don't like that. Right. And it's because starts I right back to your emotions. Yeah. And it, you know, kind of starts right when we're kids. And you go up that really big climbing frame and mum looks at it and goes, oh, there's my precious child. Come down. It's scary. It's like, mm. it, I was having the time of my life. But now yeah. I'm conditioned to, oh, it's scary. It's scary. It's scary. And um, I've been playing for the last, um, I was very kindly introduced to um, a, a simple technique of um, trauma release tremoring. So bringing on involuntary tremors into a body just mm. to release and flush out um, like almost, almost the physical um, knots of trauma and, and stuff in my body over the last year. And I, th I thought, something there's got to be something in this so i continued and continued and continued and then after a period of time i found my own nervous system down regulated and then i could feel other people yeah and then it becomes kind of triggering when you sit there in a in a board meeting or something and people say i really need you to do this and you go i'm not going to do it <laughs> because 
it's your nervous system that wants me to do it, not yeah. a rational idea. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, I, I, one thing I would say to people, you know, like, like with your experience there, which is a kind of, it's a process that's led you to come out of codependency. So codependence, like a narcissist codependent relationship or a master-slave relationship depends mm. on you not being able to process your emotions properly. So because yeah. you're trying to avoid guilt and avoid shame, you're constantly dodging. You'll just do as mm. you're told so that you don't trip that mind in the minefield. Once you've got past that and you don't mind feeling guilt, you don't mind feeling guilt or you don't feel guilt. Um, and it will be somewhere between the two, depending yeah. on our level yeah. of recovery. Um, you're coming out of codependence and uh, your standards will go up. Well, that's going to create turbulence interpersonally. Absolutely. Mm that's going to create confrontation. People always say that to me when they're, when they're in recovery, they're like, I'm getting into more arguments with people. I'm like, well, you're probably demanding a bit more respect than you previously used to. Cause now you're present, as you just said, and you value yourself. Now, if you're a thing that has value and you're visible and you're present, you're not coming from the codependent false self. You're coming from your authentic self. You're not going to let somebody trample all, all over something that's valuable. There's mm. that, that's not human nature. Mm. You have nicely defined boundaries. Well, we can all get along unless you rub up against that, and then I'll just politely tell you to fuck off. Well, that and that's that's where societies that have worked um, for a period of time and flourished uh, that there would have been uh, cultural, very explicit cultural means of doing conflict. Um, and I, my pet theory is where we see a lot of politeness, culturally, there's been a lot of individual violence. So British people are very polite. Um, this was a warring nation. It was the very invaded. A lot of uh, children born here were born the sons and daughters of invading warlords. And people carried weapons. So they were violent. So you could be killed brushing up somebody the wrong way in a tavern. So <clears throat> politeness becomes a thing. Look at the Japanese walking around with a three foot long razor blade at your hip that you can draw out in under a second. That makes people polite. Yes. Yes, it does. It does. One of the, um, one of the questions I like to ask my guests towards the end of the podcast is, uh, and I've, I've tweeted this recently since talking to Sam. <laughs> So previously, there's before Sam, and then there's after Sam. <laughs> Did you find that? <laughs> yes. Did you find that? It's not just me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I joke, I, I joke with Sam about it, especially if, 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 if I sit with Sam and I talk to him. Like a couple of times, I've sat with him and I've had a couple of drinks with him, and like a two or three hour conversation. Yeah, it, it changes you. It does change you. It's, mm. it's very intense. It's a very intense experience, and you know, it takes two or three days to sort of get over. Mm. And there's some, there was something amazing about the fact that you can sit and talk to, um, I didn't mean the podcast to become a, oh, we've chatted to Sam reminiscing thing, but um, there's something very real about the fact that, you know, we all cruise around and meet codependents who brushed up against narcissistic behaviors and this, that, and the other. And, and, and they say, oh yeah, my ex-boyfriend or my ex-girlfriend or wife or da, 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 is a, is a narcissist and this, that, and the other. But, that, that will never be acknowledged by the other person 
or, or recognized, but to actually meet somebody who right at the very start of a two hour conversation said, yeah, I've been diagnosed twice. Mm -hmm. It's me. Mm -hmm. This is it. And it's yeah, like, it, and I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want people to get confused and think that it's a good idea to be talking to narcissists generally. <laughs> Sam is, Sam is a, a unique, well, that would feed his, his narcissistic sense of self. He is unique, but he actually is unique. Um, and uh, if, if I would say if people do get the chance to speak to him, they, they absolutely should. And if you're polite and, uh, and, and nice, he will, he will talk to you and he will help, which confuses people. They're like, well, why would he help you? I'm yeah. like, because he can, because he has the power to do that. That's, yeah. people, people want to reduce this to like, um, like a child story, good and bad, black and white, you know, angels and demons. It's not, it's, it's, it's not, it's not like that. It's unfortunately the world is not, is not like that, but uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. You will, your worldview will change after, after speaking to Sam for sure. Indeed. Anyway, so back to the final question. So previously I would ask people um, if you could just upload a nugget of information into the collective consciousness, what would it be? But I've swapped it now to, if you could, if you could, upload a question into the collective consciousness so everyone just thought of and and everyone just thought about it quietly for five or seven minutes what would that be richard i'll, I'll give you a tricky answer um <laughs> i i would i would have them if i could if it was like this radio signal that just went out Yes, and they had to do it for five or six minutes. I would have them ask uh, themselves, "Why am I doing this right now?" And the reason I say that's a tricky question because if you do that for five or six minutes, you'll keep doing it because you'll learn so much. I think people just do; they just do habitually. And if you actually sit for five or six minutes and say, "Why am I? Why am I doing this now? Why am I in this marriage? Why am I in this job?" Why am I going here? Why do I do this every day? Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? It will, it will echo and they'll keep asking themselves that. And the world will become a more purposeful place. Right now, you've, the, one of the things with codependency is you have people drifting, trying to live somebody else's dream, somebody else's story, somebody else's narrative, and they're purposeless. They have no intent. They're very, very limited on intent. And if you're asking yourself the opposite question is, why am I doing this? And you keep asking that, you end up finding an intent. You go, ah, oh, well, it's for this reason. Superb. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Pleasure Sorry. talking to you, sir. Indeed. It's, for me, breath of fresh air. Thank you. Thank you. If people want sure. to reach out and find you, you're all over YouTube. <laughs> Instagram, <laughs> all the all the platforms that induce these strange neuroses. <laughs> I'm there. I'm the counter infection. Counter infection. I'm the vaccine. I'm the vaccine. The vaccine. <laughs> love it. Love it. <laughs> you're the vaccine. But yes, you're all there. Just look for Richard Grannon and SpartanLife.com. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you, sir. It's been an absolute pleasure.